First John chapter four, verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love we love because he first loved us if someone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now as we work our way through this passage. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All right. Everybody at once. What's the theme? What's the theme of this passage? Love. Love. This passage contains the word love about 27 times if we continue reading into chapter 5 it it pops up i haven't even gotten to the counting of those words but but probably an additional five or six times this week looking at this passage on one hand it's a super simple passage god is love god loves us we're to love one another as we experience god's love and love one another we're sort of perfected in God's love because we receive his love. We then love. And as we deal with loving those that are difficult sometimes to love, as we go through that, then God has his perfecting work sort of in our lives as probably the simplest. But as I look at this and this comes on Thanksgiving. So my, my time is limited. We went up to Anna's family's house in San Luis Obispo. So my whole study time was sort of out of whack and I'm, I'm going, man, some passages are like softballs and others are, ah, I felt like I was dealing with a ball of twine that got dropped on the ground and got all tangled up. And I'm trying to follow the theme of love through this by by trying to straighten it out. And my mind is kind of swimming circles by the end. Um, And as I go through this, I'm reminded that as as I've been studying first John, it's been so fruitful in my own life and my walk with the Lord. 
But I'm reminded that John desperately wants us to think and to meditate and to ponder the things he's saying. And this is a passage that I fear that I'm not going to be able to communicate all that John is trying uh, to, to give to us. Because I think what he wants is for us to take this passage, to, to read it over and over, to go through our week pondering the things that he says sort of like beef jerky how you can chew on it for a very long time some people don't like beef jerky but i love beef jerky it's the gift that keeps on giving for a long time you can if you if you pace yourself if you're starving and you're hiking you can make a piece of beef jerky last for a good 24 hours if you're if you're wise with your chewing so clearly love jumps out of these out of this text as i've been trying to think of illustrations about this some some songs jumped to, to my mind the, the one song that we all know the beatles all you need is love i'm like reading this passage and i'm i'm driving up to san luis obispo and i have kind of the all you need is love kind of going into my head and and i'm like oh when i get back i'm gonna i'm gonna google the lyrics and and see if there's something from the lyrics of that song that i could kind of pull from I punched up the lyrics and that's pretty much it. Like all you need is love. Like it really is quite frankly, a very shallow song and it doesn't say what love is. It doesn't say how love is applied. It just says all you need is love and love will whatever. And it's, it's, and I'm like, huh? And then the other song I'm almost embarrassed to admit from my youth that I remember is What's love got to do with it by Tina Turner. So I Googled those lyrics kind of maybe fishing for something else. Quite frankly, as I read those lyrics, I was quite embarrassed. I'm like, I can't read these in church. But, but I do believe in those lyrics that she sort, of, she sort of demonstrates or expresses how our culture understands love. That it's sensual. It's based upon your feelings, your, how you are treated by people, what you get out of it. And, and essentially, from my quick sort of exposition of her song, it's kind of like, well, you get these feelings, but then your heart, people ultimately just hurt you. So I don't want anything to do with love because it's just like, I'm just going to get rid of it because all you do is get hurt. So I'm just going to leave emotions out and get what I can get and take over the world. I could be totally misreading the song, but that was just in my, my thing. And I, I'm going, well, what is love? It's this term that we use so often. John sort of explains it from the context. We could sort of dig and, and, and reach some conclusions. But one passage came to mind that probably all of us, it, it should, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, it's almost always read. I almost never read it. But at, at other, at real pastor's weddings, they, they, use, this, they use this passage all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, the first couple verses, in eight, or the first part of 8. There, Paul gives sort of 15 things of what love is. I'm, you can turn there if you want. I'm not real, I'm, I more did bullet points in my notes. But as I read 1 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, Paul tells us that love is this. By a biblical definition, it's the clearest understanding of, of how God defines love. And there he says that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. 
Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecoming. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account of a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And as I read this list of love, there's both positive what love is, and then there's the negative side of what love is not. And as I look at this list, and I compare it to God's demonstration of love towards us, God meets this list perfectly. But as I subject myself to this list, I feel like I've got it all backwards because I'm so prone to impatience, prone to maybe kindness. You can Culturally, you can be kind, but in your heart not be so kind in how you feel about people. Jealousy, bragging, arrogance, being unbecoming. These are all things that in a sinner's heart we struggle with. But this list helps us to understand what love is. And as we go through our passage today, I hope that we can keep those 16 items that love is described at in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, sort of in the forefront of our minds when we see this word appear 27 times. As we are going to take communion, I want us to to focus on remembering and, and focusing on the love that God has for us in communion. So much of this passage, the standard for love is Jesus's sacrificial love on the cross, that he would become a propitiation. That's a fancy word for satisfaction, that he would satisfy the punishment that's due us on the cross because of our sin. I see this passage in three sections, kind of giving the overflow first verses seven through 11. It's the the command to love one another. For me, I sort of always ask the question, well, why, why should I do that? I love that my daughter, Ellie, she's hit three. She's, she's hit the, the phase in her life where everything is responded with why. I love the phase. Uh, some have said I never left the phase. Like I just, I always want to know why. Like if we're supposed to do something, then Why? And so I think that John, as he gives us this command, it's bookend in verses 7 and 11, this command that we're to love one another, in the middle, sort of all tangled up, is the reasons why we should love one another. I'm going to uh, hopefully read through, explain it, and at the end of that section, sort of give the bullet points for you German-minded types like myself, that I do very good with bullet points and PowerPoint, and I just give me the facts. I'll try to lay it out like that. Then in verses 12 through 16, this, this new word appears. Anybody notice that word? Not perfect. That's, a, that's the next. It's in there. It's abide. Suddenly abide appears six or seven times. I count one word that's not abide as abiding. That suddenly this, this picture of as we abide in this love, there's assurance that we receive from God. And then verses 17 through 21, I see this as the perfection of love. That, that as, as we love or we abide in this love, it's perfected in us and then it manifests itself 
in, into different areas of our life, in relationships. And as I go through these three sections, I, I see so much of these three elements found within communion that first we, we remember what Jesus did on the cross. We remember his great love. As we focus and consider God's love for us, for me, for all of my sin, all of my transgression, all of my animosity and hatred towards God, that while I was in that state, that he loved me so much that even before I was born, that he had me in his mind on the cross. That's an amazing love. And if we just focus on God's love for the rest of our life and ponder how much he loves us, it's going to transform everything. That's, that's we sort of abide. We remember what he did for us. We have assurance through the work of the cross, what he did. Our salvation is not based on our own work, our own merit. It's based totally on what he did for us. And then finally, as we abide in this love, as we ponder this love, we can't help but to share this love with others, that fruit will come out of our lives. And communion, we're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that every time we take communion, we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, that God has commissioned us to go out. Now, I've given you the cliff notes of this passage. But I'm still going to work through verse by verse because that's what we do here. <laughs> so in verse 7, he begins with beloved, this, this key word that sort of breaks sections. He reminds us that this is the Apostle John. He's the last living apostle at the time of his writing. He's probably 95, maybe older than 95. His message was love. He loved the people that he was writing. He was writing to believers, to Christians, not to, to scold them or condemn them, but to build their assurance in Christ, to help them be wise as they go about their lives because there are people that are trying to deceive them. He had a great love for them. And he says, beloved, let us love one another. And he includes himself that uh, if he writes us, he's, he's including himself to those he's writing. Let us love one another. The first thing that jumps out at me about this first, this command and its placement in context is last week, those six verses of first John four, one through six spoke to the uh, spoke to the believer to be cautious in the spiritual things that they that they go about the world that that we're not to believe every spiritual thing that's out there that we're to discern the spirits the phrase as i was going through that that kept coming up or, or continues to linger is a phrase all that glitters isn't gold and so you can go to family christian bookstore you can go to a religious section in a bookstore just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's sound. And John here says, listen, there, there are so many people that have the spirit of the Antichrist that are trying to lead you astray. So be cautious. Be careful. Study the word so that you'll know deception. But then as we go into the spirit of, of, of guarding the truth and being careful about the spiritual things, it can turn you into a person that's not very loving. Um, I, I've struggled with this, especially as my role as the pastor. Uh, anytime I can't speak and somebody else has to speak, man, I'm the worst backseat driver when it comes to this pulpit because I feel that there's 
a commission on me to guard what's being taught here. And so anytime, like I'm dangerous enough teaching the word of God, let alone entrusting somebody else to it. And I know that when I first came to this church, I really struggled, like Alberto and I really butted heads for the, for the first, I don't know, maybe the first year. We didn't know each other. This church had gone under. I didn't, I didn't know him from, from Adam. And, and, and so here I was always on his case and we were butting heads. And, and in hindsight, I, I realized, okay, it's not a theological. There's, there's a cultural, there's cultural issues because of the demographic that he's reaching. And so we kind of were fleshing it out. And finally at the year, at the end of the year, as I was like really kind of getting on his case and test him or what's your theological position on this? And I think I was doing the right thing. And Alberto and I love each other today. But he's like, man, I was worried if he even wanted me around. But I remember towards the end, God just totally convicted me with the passage. I think it's 2 Timothy 2.2 or 1 Timothy 2.2. I was going to flip flop. But it says, trust faithful men. It's like, oh, this brother's so faithful. He loves the Lord. And I need to ease up. Like he's, he's passed the test. But through that journey of trying to guard the flock, I, I recognize that, that love sort of, it was waning. I think that's the right word. Waning or waxing. One means waning. I got it right. Okay, awesome. Sweet. Um, so it was going down. It was, it was decreasing in my heart. And, and I think that this can happen to us is if we believe or we fall into the trap that we think that we are God's policemen in examining and testing the spiritual. We're just writing tickets for people that have it off. It's hard to be loving. And so right following this section, he gives us this command. Beloved, let us love one another. Don't be so testing that you become critical and judgmental and hard of heart that you're not loving other people. That you're not caring for the saints. He goes on to say, for love is from God. Anything that we know about love, true love, as the the Bible defines, its origin is God. We don't create love. Love's not within us. Its origin is God. It's from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Here's John, very black and white. There's people. God is love. If people love, they love, they are born of God and they know God. If you don't love, you don't know God and you don't love God. I don't like these because when I am honest about the condition of my heart and I go, well, what? <laughs> I'm having a really bad week. I've been very unloving and unkind and all this stuff. Do I fit in this category of not loving and not knowing God? Well, I don't want that category. I want to know God. I want to love God. And I want to be loving to others. And the more I come to know God, the easier it is for me to love others. He continues. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so as we look at this, the focus always seems to go to the cross. The, the whole focus of the Bible points to Jesus and his work on the cross. And this, this through that work on the cross, this great propitiation for our sins. This satisfaction that through the cross, that, that, that the penalty due us is forgiven. We'll look more at this word propitiation a little bit later. But John points to the source of love. If we want to be loving, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And, 
and this is one of those things that constantly shoots to my brain whenever I'm in those unloving moments, in those moments where, where people that I find harder to love and I'm irritated, I feel like I was wronged, and I go to that list of, of what love is according to First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And then I start thinking, but they wronged me. I want justice. I want revenge. I want all of this stuff. They've wronged me. Like, I'm right in this. And then somebody I heard once say sort of as somebody was complaining about their problems is like, well, did they wrong you more than you wronged Christ in your own sin when he went to the cross for you? Uh, <laughs> no, because, yeah, that's you, you got me on that one. I'm reminded of first uh, or Philippians 2, 5, the great Christological passage that says one day every knee will bow at Jesus, at the name of Jesus. People always call me when they're in a theological argument and they've lost the battle and they want to use the, the atomic weapon. I don't care what you say. One day your knee's going to bow and you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But when you look at that in context, the whole purpose of that passage is found in verse 5 that says, have this attitude in yourselves that he who was God humbled himself, came to earth as a man, that he lived his life in this way, and then he went to the cross. This is great humility. This is great love. And so as we keep our eyes on what Christ did for us, it helps us to be loving to others which kind of wraps up the bookend on this section where he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So clearly the the, the command, love one another. Well, why? First, he says, love is from God. Second, he says, God is love. Then he says, sending his son, as he sent his son Jesus to earth, that manifested the perfect picture of what love is for us. That if we want to see love, we look to Christ in this bodily form. And we see that Jesus, as he came to earth, as he lived his life, as he demonstrated love, as he finally went to the cross to pay the penalty, which he was totally innocent of, that he went there for your sin, for my sin, that we could have eternal life. This sort of is the most humbling picture of love. And that if I'm the recipient of this gift, then for me to love somebody that maybe irritates me, it makes it easier for me to say, you know what? Jesus is my example. I need a love. I need to, so far as it depends on me to be at peace with all men, to do whatever I can do to reflect love. And from this, why, this, why is this so important? Well, verse 12 begins with this statement. No one has seen God at any time. Now, John, why why do you put this phrase here? In the midst of this section of love and telling us that God is love, why do you inject in this passage this, this sort of this theological truth that no one has seen God at any time? When, when Jesus came to earth, 100% God, but, but, but he restricted what we could see. There were a few times, like at the, um, the transfiguration, where Peter, John, and James were able to see this this picture of Jesus showing his glory in a way that no other human being saw. There's this great command to love. 
And I believe in the next few verses from 12 to 16, the reason he places this this truth that no one has seen God is to highlight the truth that God has chosen to use his followers, his saints, to be his ambassadors, to reflect his love and his glory to others. And so as we love, since nobody can see God, then people can see God through his people. Back in John 13, 34, before we look through this, if you'll turn with me back to John 13, 34, this is the beginning of the Lord's Supper. Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples. I feel like going through 1 John, I continually go back to certain passages of the Lord's Supper. So in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 is is one of these passages, uh, which ultimately was really Jesus speaking to the disciples. And John was one of them. I think this had a profound impact on John. John, who started out as this young man full of vinegar, full of elitism, thinking that he was better than everybody else, that he had the audacity to ask Jesus that when Jesus is sitting in his glory, if he would place him on the right and his brother on the left, that they would have the seats of prominence, that as they were passing through Samaria and the Samaritans wouldn't let them stay the night, John asked Jesus if he could pray that fire would come down from heaven to turn the Samaritans into glass. This John, at his end of his life, was not the same John at the beginning. He was transformed by God's love for him. That in all of his writings, he never once said, I, John, the apostle, am writing this to you. He only refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, the day before he would hang on the cross, and as he was being nailed to the cross, continually said over and over again, it's not really reflected in the English, but in the Greek, it's, it gives you the, that throughout the course of the crucifixion, Jesus uttered the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That this love that he was doing as he was brutally murdered and hung on the cross in the most heinous way was a picture of total sacrificial love to bridge the gap between fallen humanity and God. And, And before this all happened, he speaks these words to the apostles. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. See, this is different from the old commandment, which says... Okay, we got a little, it happens to the best of us. Um, the old commandment was that you love one another as you like wish to be loved. Like, to, do unto, to do to one another as you want it to be done to you. But Jesus says, no, you love one another as I have loved you. I'm on my way to the cross. I did nothing wrong. He raises the bar. He says, even as I loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35 is the point that I'm getting at. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus on his last day, as he's speaking the most important things to them, he says, if you guys love one another, the world out there that doesn't know me will come to see that you truly are my disciples through love. Our world doesn't know this kind of love. And when they see it, They're kind of taken aback. 
Why would somebody love in this way? It doesn't make sense. Turning back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. Now, John, I'm just going to read the passage. He says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit that we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. I'm going to stop here. There's this whole like circular picture that I get, man, I get dizzy in my mind. This passage in the Bible, I've like so marked up, I can barely read it because I'm trying to straighten it out. Rick's laughing at me during the worship. He almost always does as he sees me like making last minute scratches and scribbles. He's like, man, we know you've been like, why do you do that? You're ready. You're and I'm like, I got to like try to sort this out. But as we love one another, there's this assurance that as we suddenly start loving each other, then that sort of confirms that that gives us assurance that God's within us. The spirit that upon belief that we're told that we receive when we believe in God. And then in verse 14, he John kind of goes back to the beginning, the opening stanza where it says we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. So as we receive this love, as we ponder god's love as we come to understand how much he loves us it changes how we treat one another and as we start loving one another it's sort of this like circular sort of process that as we love it's like ah i'm a different person like the fact that i love you guys 15 years ago this is the last place i'd want to be maybe it's maybe it's 20 years time's kind of kind of getting out there and what i thought was five years ago became 10 years and then 10 years came 15 and i think i'm now at the 20 year mark of of my salvation and so so suddenly i love people i love fellow believers where 20 years ago i thought you guys were all goofy i wanted nothing to do with you but now suddenly my love for the saints and to be able to go around the world and see people that they don't speak my language but I know that they love Jesus. Suddenly there's this like bond there. There's this, there's this kinship that, that I've never had before. And to me, that's sort of like, man, God's love must be in me. I must really have the, the assurance that this, this sort of this circular sort of thing. And, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not making sense. You guys got to study this. Chew on this. It's beef jerky. I'm figuring it out as I speak. But when I read verse 14, he, we have seen and testified the very beginning of 1 John. He says that we've, we've touched him, we felt him, we saw him with our eyes. We saw this Jesus. We proclaim to you this word of life. That you could have fellowship with the Father. This koinonia, this intimacy. And I think that this abiding, this process that's hard for me to explain is actually this fellowship that we have with God through Christ's love for us. And he says that the father has sent the son of God to be the savior of the world, that Jesus came for all people. If we back up a chapter to first John chapter two, in the first verse, we see Jesus described as this advocate of ours this attorney that as satan is accusing us before god nine days revelation tells us that jesus is there as our attorney 
our defense attorney saying, I paid for that, I paid for that, I paid for that. They're safe and secure. They're abiding in me. He goes on to say in verse 2, that he himself is the propitiation, that same word, the satisfaction for our sins. John is saying, listen, Jesus paid it all. His love for us is so full that he bridged the gap. He paid for every sin, every, every uh, transgression that, that cuts into our relationship with God. Jesus paid it totally and completely. But then as he's focusing on the believers in the midst there, he says, not only for ours only, but for the whole world. That, that the people out there that don't know Jesus... The people that die apart from Jesus, every single human being from all of history, when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible makes it pretty clear in my simple reading of it, that Jesus paid the penalty for all sin. Whether or not a person comes to believe or to reject. But just because he paid doesn't mean that you go to heaven. Not all people are saved. And going back to 1 John chapter 4, Where he says in verse 14, we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. All humanity. What becomes effectual, how we become saved is found in verses 15 and 16. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love of which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love. Abides in God and God in him. So as he says that Jesus came. He died for the sins of the world. Well, how, do you, how do you become saved? How does this take effect in your heart? How do you move from death into life? And we see confession. That Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. Last week we saw that he'd come in the flesh. And then in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse uh, 16, it says, we have come to know and have believed in the love. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't say we've come to believe in Jesus. John uses a more beautiful way of expressing it, that we've have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Now, what is this love? Well, I have One of my markings is an arrow shooting back to verse 10. It probably could have multiple destinations in this passage. But in verse 10, it says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins. And we believe in this love. There's an element of faith. That when we take communion, what we're reminded of as we take the crackers, we take the juice, we're reminded of Jesus' broken body on the cross, his blood, which is the new covenant of everlasting life. And it's the most beautiful symbolism for what love is. That he loved us so much that he gave his life. And we come to communion and it's belief in God's love for us that sets us apart. I hope this is making sense. And as we experience this, God's love abides in us. We're transformed. Verse 17 goes on to say, by this, the third section, love is perfected with us. 
So this whole process, man, I've been trying, how do I, how do I communicate what I'm trying to figure out in my mind? The old saying, if there's a fog in the pew, or if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. So, so this whole process of knowing, okay, we're to love one another. The reason we love is because God loved us. As we believe in this love that God has for us, we have assurance that God is abiding in us. And we see this transformational work in our lives. And then verse 17 says, by this. This is another scuba mark. You'll see in verse 17, in verse 13, in verse, uh, there's another one somewhere here, but I've lost it in all my scribbles. By this, by this, you ask the question, what's the this? What's the by this? And you've got to go back. And so by this in verse 16 refers to this abiding circular love that God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. And I've been thinking about this. How is love perfected in us? In my life, there have been people that have been very hard to love. I have not always loved them back as I should. There are relationships, some of them that are damaged because of my, my, my broken family line of just sort of not living for Christ has caused a very confusing family tree for those of you who heard the unshackle program you kind of know my story and and some of these relationships are fractured and, and i haven't always handled things correctly but as god's love continues to this day to do a work in my life that transform me it's helped me to become more loving and as I reach out and try to love others, sometimes family members, sometimes not family members, it can be difficult. I, sometimes love is not responding a certain way when I just want to unload on somebody. But I say, no, God loved me. I've made mistakes. I need to be cautious in how I respond. You know what? I need to sit on that email. I need to delete that whole paragraph. It felt good writing that, but I shouldn't send it because that's not loving. And then as I learn to love in these difficult situations and i obey god's command to love then all of a sudden there's this refining process that happens in my heart and i'm being perfected or made complete into the image of christ that this journey begins as we love because god loves us it changes us from the inside and i've got a long way to go but i love I love meeting and talking with elderly people. And elderly, I mean like 150, just not to offend anybody. I've learned to be careful. But so when I meet these 150-year-old ladies that have been walking with the Lord for like 130 years, and to see like the love in their heart and how they treat other people, there's something special. As I look at the mature Christian Love is the universal thread that kind of flows through them all. And I think this is what he's saying when love is perfected with us. We see this so that, this, 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 uh, this purpose clause. So as this love is perfected in us, the reason that it's being perfected in us is that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. Do you guys remember one of my favorite verses from a few weeks ago? If you flip back to 1 John chapter 2, 
28. As he's speaking, John is an elderly man. His time of going to be with the Lord is soon, but he's still focused on, on the, the, the return of Christ, that it could happen at any moment. And he says, now, little children, here's this grandfather to the church. And he looks at all of us and he doesn't care if you're you're 80 years old. He's looking at you like you're a little whippersnapper. The older I get, the younger I'm like, man, what are they letting kids go in the Marine Corps for? They look like babies. And I know it's only going to get worse because I'm only in my my late 30s. Like, it's only going to keep getting worse. Like, as I look at these kids, it's like, ah. And I think that this is John as he looks out and he's trying to to grab the, the little kids, which is all of us in the church. And he says, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. This is that, that having boldness in a situation when we should be intimidated. Same word that we see in today's passage. And not shrink away from him at shame in his coming. So John tells us that, listen, walk with him. Walk with him closely. Stay close to him because... When he appears at his return, you don't have to shrink away to think that there will be Christians that when Jesus returns, our first reaction is like, oh, no, I can't believe you caught me in the midst of this. But he says to abide in him so that when we appear, we have confidence. Back in first John chapter four, verse 17, when he says, as this love is perfected through all of this section of abiding with him, as we've experienced God's love, as we reflect this love out to others he says so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment so as we come to know god's love as we take communion reminding of ourselves of how much god loves us that our taking communion our memorializing this event that happened on the cross isn't to shame us isn't to condemn us isn't to make us feel horrible for all of our sins We're to focus on how much God loves us because as we come to know God and his love for us, it will transform you in ways that are unbelievable. We'll have confidence in the day of judgment because we don't stand condemned because he paid it all on the cross. Our assurance is in him, not in our works. Because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love. When I look at Christians today, I see so much fear. It breaks my heart and and I'm convicted in my own sense to see an election, to see the fear that that burns throughout Christians. Well, if we're walking with God and we know the creator of the universe, the one who's over all, we have no fear. Whatever is to come our way, we know that we walk with the one who loves us, who's greater than all things. Our confidence and our hope is in him. We, have, we should have no fear, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And so as we enter into communion, some final thoughts that that first you may be sitting here with deep resentment or anger towards somebody who has wronged you. 
as I look at this passage, as I examine the own anger at my heart that I've had at times, I'm reminded that I need to confess that. I need to ask God for help, that I do love God, and to ask him to strip away any sort of anger and bitterness that's there in my heart. That we need to remember God's love for us as we take these elements, we're reminded of his broken body, his blood, the new covenant that we have, this life. He is the eternal life, and in him we have life. This is, this is the most important thing. And as we receive this love, we're reminded that why we're to love one another. We love one another as he loved. That while we who are dead in our sins and transgresses, transgressions, he went to the cross. He paid the price for us. And so those that don't know God, we should love them because we're God's ambassadors. He's chosen to... To, to use us to share this message of love. And that's the fruit of, of receiving this love, that as we receive this love, we're transformed. We love one another, we love each other. And I think there's something to that song, all we need is love. <laughs> but, we, but we need to have the definition done right. So as we end, before I pray, I want to read what love is from 1 Corinthians again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecoming. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And so, Father, as we prepare to take communion, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you for who you are. And in this little letter of of 1 John, He shared with us that you are life, that you are light. And now he shows us that you are love. That love is from you, that you are love. And that your love was most perfectly displayed through the life of Christ. That he who knew no no sin would become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you as we prepare to take these elements that our salvation is not based upon our own works, our own being being good people, doing enough things to try to outweigh the bad that we've done. Lord, we come believing in this great love that you have for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus paid it all. Father, we pray that as we take these elements, Lord, that you would Uh, Lord, help us to love one another within the body of Christ, with those who haven't come to know you as Savior. Lord, we pray that you would guide us, Lord, that you would remove the impurities of our heart, Lord. May your love overwhelm us. Father, as we take this communion, we ask that you would bring to mind our friends, our family, uh, our neighbors, Lord, that don't know you as Savior. Father, Give us opportunities, Lord. Help us to take these opportunities to share your love with others. Father, we thank you that you're such a patient and loving God. 
And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.